Good morning, good morning, Rabotai. Breakfast and a class today is dedicated in loving memory of Norma's grandmother, Ruth Dweck, Ruth Bat sponsored by Norma and Murray Dayan. Uh, we're so sorry to hear of the loss. Breakfast and class dedicated as well in loving memory of Harry S. Tao, sponsored by his son, Elliot H. Tao. And as well, breakfast is sponsored uh, by Wendell in honor of my dear friend Rabbi Shlomo Fari. The Pasuk says something very interesting. And as always, we take a look at something which seems to be a small point in the Torah, but each little point of, uh, of interest, each tiny little um, uh, halakha is really, instead of being a point, if you could imagine instead, is a window or a doorway to vistas that when you open it up, you realize there's so much more behind it. The Pasuk says, Ki ignov ishor oseh, when a person steals a, uh, an ox or a sheep, v'tivaho umcharo, and, uh, and he either he slaughters it to eat, or mecharo, he sells it, tavacho machar, like the Gemara always says, chamisha bakai yishalem tahat you have to pay five times the value of the ox. So if you steal someone's ox and you return it, how much you have to pay? Right? If you, if you want to return it, you have to pay once. But if you slaughtered it or if you sold it, then increases the fine that you have to pay four times more. It's you pay five oxes. Unbelievable. Okay? Just because you slaughtered it because you sold it, weird. But that's called a knas. By the way, as we already explained earlier, anything which has a halakha of kenas, which means a fine, it's not the, it's not the obligation itself, it's not the keren, okay? We would not pay today, there's no kenas alive today, because we don't have a bedin of, uh, of the Sanhedrin, okay? You don't have the bedin uh, like we used to have at the time of Beit HaMikdash, so anything which is a kenas you don't pay. So you would pay once, but halakha was when you had a, a, the bedin in, in place, you pay five times for the short. The arba tzon and four sheep tahadaseh instead of the sheep. And the Gemara asks, one second, if you want to find me because I uh, slaughtered it, because I sold your item, not only did I steal it, but I slaughtered it, I sold it, whatever, okay? You want to find me, find me. But what difference does it make if it's an ox or if it's a sheep that I stole? And the Gemara says something that is marvelous. Amar Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakai. Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai taught, Chasa makom al kivodan shel biriyot. The Torah, it feels the pain, it's conscious of the kavod of all creations. Shor raglav, when you have an ox, it walks on its feet. Vilonit bazebo haganav. The ganav is not embarrassed. Lenoso al ketefav, he has to carry it on his shoulders. Mishalim chamisha, that guy pays five. Because he walks holding the leash down Main Street, no problem, Fifth Avenue. He walks holding the leash of the ox, steals it, takes whoever he wants to go. Nobody gives it a second look because he's just walking down the street with his animal. But the guy who wants to take a sheep, he walks so slowly, you know, you can't walk it that way. So in order to steal it, what do he need to do? He need to put it on his shoulders and run down the street. And people see when he's running down the street with a sheep, they know that the guy just stole a sheep. And he, is, he, he feels the embarrassment of his crime. So since he has the embarrassment, the Torah felt that embarrassment and said, instead of paying five times, 
you should pay four. Because he was embarrassed with it. Now, Al-Chachamim point out, what an unbelievable, first of all, strange, but what an unbelievable point of interest. Here's a guy, he's in the act of stealing. He's literally hush-showing, and the Torah's capacity for rahamin, for mercy, for noticing someone's embarrassment or pain point is so sensitive that we're noticing it even here. I want you to imagine, let's take an example of this, okay? Imagine somebody is sitting at home, a Jewish mother sitting at home. All of a sudden, there's a knock at the door. She says, who's there? The guy says, UPS. Right? She says, okay, opens the door, UPS. Turns out, the guy has a gun. He says, Grandma, you're coming with me. All right? Sorry? Yeah. UPS stands for you people stupid. Anyway, so he opens the door, grabs the grandma, drags her out into the into the night to a waiting van. Now, a true Jewish grandma, what's she gonna say to this thief? The true Jewish grandma, what's she gonna say? She's gonna say, out on a night like this, this cold with no coat, let me get you a coat. Did you eat something yet? That's a Jewish grandma. Wow, she's being kidnapped. You understand? Right? This is the idea over here, the Pasuk. Torah is telling you that we're feeling the sensitivity of someone's embarrassment even when he's in the action of the crime. Now, let's take this one step further. One could even have thought, wow, this guy, he's willing to take the sheep on his shoulders, brazen, chutzpah, out in the middle of the day. Let's find him even more. The Torah was capable of understanding and feeling the suffering of someone, even who was stealing. And I think in some way, there's also something to be said, to think to ourselves, wow, a person like this, this ganav, look at how, 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 how much he's willing to embarrass himself. Instead of thinking, what a, what a low life, also you could think, how desperate, how desperate must he be that this is where he's at. The Gemara says that if a poor man comes to your door and says, I need money for food, halachas, you don't have to check him out. Why? Because to ask for food is, is so humiliating on that level to say, I don't have clothes, I don't have food, the, the most basic human necessities, that unless a person actually needs food or clothing, he's not going to lie and put himself down like that. But what happens when you meet someone that does? What happens when you meet someone and the guy is lying to you about not having food to eat, lying to you about not having clothes, and meanwhile he does. Do you know what? I have my Rebbe's words ringing in my ear, thinking, how much more so do you need to give him tzedakah? That the guy is so broken as a human being. He, he has so little self-dignity that actually he's lying even about this. This guy, he's sick. You would give money to a sick person? So this is a sick person, you know? Now, obviously, there's a wider picture of how do we help a person dig himself out of that hole, but until we figure out how to dig the person out of that hole, look at what we learned from the Torah, the ability to see this. Now, sometimes, you know, we, as human beings, we're capable of being merciful to people. But when someone hurts us, we turn cruel. Someone says, well, I can't believe you said that to the guy. What do we answer back? What do you mean? The guy was ripping me off. What am I going to do? See the Torah here has mercy even on a thief. We're learning not only, and again, I want to point this out because there's two points here that people don't often get. 
One point is, one point, first point, is how far we can go with our Rachmanut. That's fun. How, how far are we obligated to go with our mercy? The second thing is, I want you to understand, is you see how far the Torah believes human beings are capable of going. I need you, those are two separate points. One point is, am I obligated to do this? The second point is, oh my gosh, the Torah is expecting this of me? That means that I'm capable of it. I'm capable of that level of sensitivity. What a beautiful thing to think when we head out into our day. I want to add one more point. The, uh, uh, the altar from Kelm, Rav Nachum Zev of Kelm, the altar from Kelm, one time he traveled very, very far to go to a wedding. And at this wedding, right, there's a, you know, one speaker, they've asked this guy, a very famous, tremendous rabbi from the city of Vilna, they asked him to speak, okay? Who is speaking after him? This man, Rav Nachum Zavmik from Kelm, he's going to speak number two. You know, sometimes I get to a wedding and they'll tell me, Rabbi, we'd like you to come to the wedding. I said, thank you very much. Uh, what would you like me to do? I'm happy to come yeah, and just eat food, you know? Uh, in fact, I enjoy coming to weddings the most when I have no jobs to do. You can just enjoy. You're not nervous. You're not running around. Right? I said, well, you know, is it, what would you like me to do? This? So he says, look, you know, we have this one. We have this one's doing the wedding. We have this one's doing this. We're speaking for that. We thought maybe you would speak on behalf of our side. I said, that means you're telling me the three rabbis are speaking under the chuppah? He says, yeah. I said, that's a big mistake. The only time you want three rabbis to speak is if they're saying mutarim lachem, mutarim lachem, mutarim lachem. <laughs> okay. Right? Who wants to hear the third rabbi stands up before you even start opening your mouth? Everyone's like, ooh, Lee, when are we getting out of here? Right? Okay. So I was the third rabbi to speak at this wedding. It turned out very nice, by the way, in case any of the people are listening. It turned out very nice. People very much enjoyed it. People very much enjoyed it. It was very special. But this rabbi, I think he's supposed to speak second. After this great rabbi. The great rabbi stands up to speak, and you know what? Nobody's perfect. Who knows that better than all of us? Nobody's perfect. The first rabbi goes, and it just didn't go. What he wanted to say, he stumbled. He, I don't know, he messed up the joke. You know, he didn't say the story right. The, the idea wasn't so impressive. And people were left, like they say, underwhelmed. Okay? They were left underwhelmed, a little bit, uh, you know, new. All of a sudden they turn around, they're looking for the second rabbi to speak, who was a fantastic speaker, very much was able to connect with the human, with the human spirit, with their emotions. They're looking around, mafiashi, is that how I would say it? How do you say the guy's, rahit, rahit, the guy's gone. They can't find him. They're looking everywhere under the tables, nowhere. Knocking on the bedroom stalls, nowhere. Can't find him. Anyway, Chupa finishes, they're dancing, all of a sudden, who turns up again? Had that, number, Rabbi number two. Okay? So the, one of the Ba'alei Simcha comes running up to him, they said, where'd you go? He started to try and get out of the question. Anyway, the guy says, please, Rabbi, stop messing me about. Where'd you go? I, we asked you to come all the way here. We wanted to honor you with words to speak at the wedding. He says, look, I'll tell you the truth. This Rabbi, unbelievable. Every word he says is a diamond. Once in a while, you miss the mark. Once in a while, it doesn't go well. He says, I felt, thought to myself, how could I stand up afterwards? I had a killer speech. I'm going to get up there, speak like a monster. And what are people going to say? Eh, first guy. Second guy, rock star. First guy, new. 
He says, I couldn't do that. I couldn't do that. He's such a sadiq. Such a, look at the sensitivity. Unbelievable. Now, I want to add one last bit. Rav Shalom Shwadron, he was, a, he was very, very famous for being a, a magid. You know what a magid is? A magid is someone who would come, he would entertain the people, tell them stories that would really kind of penetrate their hearts and their souls, really help them connect. He's very popular. Maybe the most popular speaker of his day. He used to have lots of people coming together, you know, to learn from him. Anyway, but he was, at the time, he was learning in the, one of the yeshivas on the side. The guy, the mashgiach, the person who was in charge of the yeshiva, had to go from Israel to America. And he started going to collect money. And as he's going there for, for a week, two weeks, three weeks, you know, to help the yeshiva, the Rav Shalom Shwadron realized that the boys, they weren't getting their speeches every night, musar, this, that. And he thought to himself, you know what, maybe I should go give them a little talks, wake them up. But he thought, what if the boys like me better than the guy who has the job? He's going to come back a couple weeks' time. He didn't know, on the other hand, what about all the Torah of the boys? So what wins? The sensitivity or the Torah wasting? So he didn't know the answer. He went to Rav Chatzko Levenstein, who was an unbelievable genius. Unbelievable. His books, his Musa was fire. He went to Rav Chatzko Levenstein. And this is what Rav Chatzkel told him. Listen to this. He said, Yesh lanu Kabbalah birura. We have a clear tradition. Ki im notzar matzav kazeh. If such a situation should arise, shall his damnut an opportunity live not at Beit HaMikdash to build the Beit HaMikdash. Aval yesh bazeh. But in the process of building the Beit HaMikdash, yesh bazeh chashash. Someone might get offended. Someone's feelings might be hurt. Because you, you didn't include him. You didn't use him. He wasn't able to help out. Better not to build the Beit HaMikdash than to hurt one guy's feelings. Could you imagine this? So Rav Chatzkel told him, keep your mouth shut. Don't say nothing. You might hurt someone's feeling. You know how powerful, how important that is, especially in the era of the Beit HaMikdash. Okay? Now, we learned from all of this that, number one, the importance of feeling for someone else, even when perhaps they're not so important, even perhaps when they're doing the wrong thing. That's number one. Number two, Rabotai, and this is, I think, maybe even more important. Number two, we're learning as well that um, even if the cost... Even if the cost is going to be something very, very big. Like building the Beit HaMikdash. Chalishut that's not worth it. And they prove the point. I always love pointing this out. When Moshe Rabbeinu was called to do the job and save the Jewish people from suffering, from murder, from everything. Moshe Rabbeinu says no because Aharon's feelings might be hurt. We learn from this, Rabbutai, that Bore Olam, if I was God, thank, by the way, you know I love saying, thank God I'm not God. But if I was God, a lot of people think that until they get married. So thank God, right? If I was God, Rabbutai, okay? And Moshe Rabbeinu tells me, I don't want to go save the Jews. My brother's feelings might be hurt. You know what I would say? What are you talking about? Go save the Jews. They're all dying. 
They're all taught, being tortured. You worried about his feelings? What about their feelings? What would I have said to God? What would I, as God, said to Moshe? You're not weighing this up correctly. You're not seeing straight. You're worried about your brother when everybody else is in this terrible situation? But God doesn't say that. What does Hashem say? You don't have to worry. You know why? Because his feelings are not hurt. What is mashma is from God's answer. We learn that if Aaron's feelings would have been hurt, Moshe should not have gone to save the Jews. Why? If we're worried about one person feeling bad, what about the millions of people in Egypt feeling bad? You know what the answer is? The answer is, it cannot be that salvation would come from destroying one person in order to save a bunch of others. Moshe knew that if this was the case, then this is not the path. So sometimes when you see an opportunity, but you see that the opportunity runs through somebody, understand that you're supposed to, in this situation, say no. Why? Because this can't be the path of opportunity. This is actually a test. That's what we learn uh, from Ki Yignov Ish Shor May God bless us always to have and feel someone else's heart inside of our own. Baruch Adonai Amen. Amen.